Okay, I'd like to read a few passages of Scripture that will set the stage for our conversation this morning. And remember to, to lean in because the, the words I'm about to read are literally God-breathed. They are living and they are active. First passage is from John chapter 11. Um, you may want to follow along. The words won't pop up on the screen. Or you can just listen. John chapter 11. Jesus good friend Lazarus is dead. He's been dead for four days, and Jesus is just showing up on the scene, beginning at verse 30. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village and was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been married and house comforting her, notice how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. The next passage from Luke chapter 19. Jesus is nearing the city of Jerusalem. He's riding on a donkey. It's Palm Sunday. Countless people are lining the streets. They're waving palm branches. They're singing and shouting his praises. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. It's quite a scene of joy and celebration. And then the Luke records beginning with verses at the beginning. Let me double check. Beginning somewhere. All right. <laughs> Look it up. But as he came closer to Jerusalem, okay, they're celebrating. But as he, Jesus, came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish the day that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late, and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies, that would be the Romans in 70 AD, before long your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you do not recognize it when God visited you. Final passage from James chapter 4. And in this passage, James is calling out God's people. He's calling out me. He's calling out you. Here's what he says. Being at verse 4. You adulterous people. Okay, bro, that's a little harsh, right? I mean, come on. That's offensive. That's mean-spirited. That's not politically correct. You adulterous people, do you not realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. That's a bad choice, amen? I don't think we want God to be our enemy. Do you think that scripture has no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourself for the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. May God bless the reading of his word. Heavenly Father, we humbly come into your presence. We thank you for who you are. You're God of mercy and grace, a God who loves us. 
We thank you for giving us your word that can teach us, correct us, that can show us the way to live. And God, I pray this morning that we will all lean into your word, God. Holy Spirit, just move in and among us today. Help me to speak for you, Lord, in a way that brings you honor and draws people closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's do this. Week nine, in our verse-by-verse study of Matthew's gospel, the king and his kingdom. And last week in our study, we came to what is the the longest recorded sermon of Jesus, the Sermon of the Mount. Some people have said that it is the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived, and I tend to agree. And Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount with what we call the Beatitudes, and each Beatitude begins with the word blessed. So Jesus says, do you want to be blessed? And everyone says, yes, we want to be blessed. Yes, we want to be happy. And then he says, blessed are And I'm going to get it this week with that laugh best. Blessed are you who, right? Remember last week? That that grabbed me. You who, right? I can can say without laughing today, that's awesome. And then he gives eight different characteristics of a life that is blessed by God. And listen, one thing that's clear of the gates is that these eight characteristics are kind of crazy, that they are counterintuitive, that they don't make sense, they're paradoxical, they are oxymoronical, right? I make that word up, oxymoronical, right? Now, paradox is a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. Examples. Nobody goes to that restaurant. It's too crowded. Don't go near the water till you have learned how to swim. The man who wrote such a stupid sentence cannot write at all. If you get this message, call me. If you don't get it, don't call me. I'm going to start thinking positive, but I know it won't work. I'm a deeply superficial person. The future ain't what it used to be. We must believe in free will. We have no choice. Always be sincere, even if you don't mean it. (laughs) I distinctly remember forgetting that. I am not schizophrenic, and neither am I. <laughs> and here's some oxymorons, right? Two words side by side that shouldn't be together, but are. Bitter, sweet. Act, naturally. Found, missing. Jumbo, shrimp. Original, copy. Clearly, misunderstood. Pretty, ugly. Seriously, funny. New, classic, even odds, constant, variable, deafening, silence, same, difference, civil, war, Microsoft works, (laughs) (laughs) Apple, baby, and my all-time favorite, country, music, (laughs) but, but you know what? I say that for a laugh, but I listen to some country music, like chicken fried, right? (laughs) Love me some chicken fried, right? I I say I like country music now, but anyhow, it's still fun to say. (laughs) Just like cats, right? All I got to say is cats. Right, okay. Uh, And Jesus says, happy poor, happy sad, happy hungry, 
Jesus says if you want to have a real life, a blessed life, a full life, a kingdom life, here's how to make that dream a reality. And so Matthew chapter 5, Jesus makes this very counterintuitive and contradictory statement. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And I think we'd have to agree out of the gates that that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Happy are the sad. Now last week we looked at the first beatitude where Jesus says blessed are the poor. We talked about how that is counterintuitive to us because we tend to equate blessings with wealth or blessed are the rich. But Jesus says blessed are the poor in spirit. And we don't see it that way. We think blessed are the self-sufficient, blessed are the self-reliant, blessed are those who help themselves. But Jesus says, no, you got it all wrong. There's a blessing when you embrace your brokenness and ask God for help. We say, God, I I can't help myself. I can't heal it. I I can't fix it. I I can't restore it. I can't mend it. I, I can't redeem it. I can't put the pieces back together again. I can't do it. God, I need your help. And that moment, Jesus says we create room for God's blessing. Amen? And we did that just this last week in this very room as people rang a bell and said, Lord, help me with my anger. Help me with my anxiety. Help me with my depression. Help me with my marriage. Help me with a relationship. Help me with my fear. Help me with my doubt. Help me with my walk. Help me with my guilt. Help me with my shame. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's counterintuitive, but we know it's true. But blessed are those who mourn. That's not just counterintuitive, that's contradictory. I mean, blessed are those who mourn. I think it through. He's saying, blessed are the sad, blessed are the unhappy. How is that possible? How can there be blessing in the midst of sorrow? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now they're Nine words in the New Testament for sorrow and mourning. And Jesus is using a word in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, that is the strongest of those nine words. It represents the deepest, most heartfelt grief a person can experience. It carries the idea of deep inner agony expressed by outward weeping. It's a word used for the mourning over the loss of a loved one. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You know, I don't think that we're inclined to believe that. In fact, we do not want to believe that. (laughs) Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the sad. Blessed are the depressed. Blessed are the sorrowful. Question, can you remember the last time that you did this? The last time that you were just overwhelmed with sorrow and you, you just mourned, you just wept like you were totally undone? Blessed are those who mourn. Question, if I had a sign-up sheet in the back, for you to, for you to sign up if you want to experience deep sorrow and pain this week, would you sign up? Comfort, yes. Mourn, not so much. Kind of like last week, we all said we would like to be whole without actually ever being broken. Like matter, we would like to experience God's comfort with ever, without ever experiencing sorrow and pain. Hey, Jesus, can we just get past the mourning part and get right to the comfort? Or better yet, Jesus, how about we do it this way? Blessed are those who never mourn because they never need to be comforted. But that's not the way of the kingdom. 
That's not the way to bless life or real life. That is not the yoke, the teaching of Jesus, our rabbi. Get it? Good. Nevertheless, I think that mourning is something that we all struggle with as Jesus followers. I mean, we're not quite sure what to do with it. We'd much rather avoid it, deny it, numb it, cover it up. And if we must go through it, we want to get in it and get out of it fast. In his book, Beauty Will Save the World, Rediscovering the Allure and Mystery of Christianity, Brian Zahn writes about our struggle to embrace mourning. He says this, we have an immature obsession with being happy all the time. It's in our culture. It seeps into our churches. It's not healthy. I think sometimes we're trying to replace the symbol of the cross with a smiley face. Serious Christianity has given way to inspirational Christianity, which has turned into insipid Christianity. How to look that word up, right? I don't use that word all the time, right? I, I like short words, right? Insipid. Lacking flavor, vigor, or interest. All right. I know all you knew that. I needed a definition, right? Have we replaced a serious theology of the cross with pop psychology of happiness? Have we traded something sublime and serious, majestic and mysterious for something silly, prosaic? Had to look that up too. <laughs> I'm so smart. Woo! Lacking poetic beauty. Have we traded something sublime and serious, majestic and mysterious for something silly, prosaic, shallow, a juvenile obsession with cheap happiness? I don't think I'm overstating the problem. And this I actually put in your notes. Because we're uncomfortable with sorrow, we passively enforce a kind of mandated happiness in our churches. Instead of weeping with those who weep, we want everybody to just cheer up. And we want them to cheer up for our sake. Because they're so terribly uncomfortable with their sorrow. What we should do instead is join them in their sorrow and assist them in the work of grief. When human beings suffer tragedy and profound loss, there's a certain amount of grieving that is required. The question is, can we create churches that understand that mourning is not a sign of weakness, but a spiritual work to be attended to, a spiritual work that Jesus says leads to the blessedness of comfort from outside ourselves? Man, I, I think he nailed it. And I say, let's become that kind of church. Let's become a church where we join others in their sorrow and we assist them in the work of grief. Amen? Understand, what I'm trying to say is that it's okay to mourn. It's natural to mourn. In fact, it's even necessary times to mourn. Especially in three specific areas I want us to zero in this morning. But if we grow brothers and sisters in your loss, mourn. Don't fight it. Oop. Go back. Back, 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 back. <laughs> Don't fight it. Don't ignore it. Don't avoid it. Just do it. Just mourn. Just weep and let the tears flow. Hey, did you notice in John 11 that when Jesus shows up at the home of Mary and Martha and everyone's weeping and mourning, do you notice what he did not say? He didn't say, hey, come on, cheer up. Stop all that weeping. Turn that frown upside down. I'm the resurrection and the life. He didn't say that. He said he wept. Everybody's favorite memory verse, right? <laughs> Jesus wept. Who knows the address? John 11. Boom. 
And why did he weep? Because of their sorrow, because of their pain, because he loved Lazarus, and because, hear me, loss, brokenness, sorrow, and death are not how things in this world were intended to be. Brothers and sisters, in your loss, maybe it's a lost job, maybe it's a lost relationship, a lost dream, lost health, a lost loved one, in your loss, mourn. Understand, loss is, in, is inevitable. We will all experience it. The Bible says the rain falls on the just and on the unjust. Jesus says in this world you will have trouble. Loss is just part of life. You either had it, you're having it, or you are about to have it. Yes, like it or not, that's the way it works. Loss is just a part of our story in this falling world. Get it? Good. I was reading this week about Ernest Hemingway, and he was meeting with a bunch of other authors, and they made him a $10 bet. The story's definitely dated, right? He made a $10 bet. That's almost two gallons of gasoline today, right? That's crazy stuff out there. But he made a $10 bet, and he took the challenge. They said, hey, I want you to write a short story that only has six words. Took out a napkin, and here's what he wrote. Six words. For sale, baby shoes, never worn. There's certainly a story in those six words, right? Maybe you could write six words that tell your story. Your cancer isn't responding to treatments. I'm going through with a divorce. Your position is no longer needed. There's been a terrible accident. I can't be with you anymore. Your mom fell down the stairs. You will never have any children. Your dad had a heart attack. Mom, dad, I was sexually abused. Do not ever call me again. I'm so sorry. We couldn't save him. I don't love you anymore. It's the bank. They are foreclosing. Sad stories, difficult stories, sorrowful stories. And Jesus, our rabbi, says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Again, as Jesus opens up this Sermon on the Mount, his manifesto, if you will, of what it is to live in his kingdom, he starts with these Beatitudes. And we're just finding that what Jesus does, he takes our assumptions as to what a blessed life, what a happy life looks like, and he flips the script and he turns them upside down. I mean, we tend to think that blessed are those who find that everything always goes their way. Blessed are those who have good health and great relationships. Blessed are those who never lose anyone or ever lose anything. Blessed are those whose dreams all come true. But Jesus says there's a blessing in loss. A blessing that can only come through tears. And listen, as upside down as that may seem, I, like many in this room, have found that to be true. Seriously, real people like you and like me have found that in the midst of sorrow, there is a blessing that we never expected. And what is that blessing? God's love, God's peace, God's comfort, and God's presence in a deeper and more real way than we had ever experienced before. Amen? Can I get a witness? Understand, in the midst of your sorrow, if you draw near to God, James says that he will draw near to you. Now, there's a guy in the Old Testament who's kind of the gold standard for this very thing. His name is Job. 
And we first meet Job. Job is living large. He's living what many would call a blessed life. Here's how his life is going. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep. Now, that doesn't seem blessed to me, right? 7,000 sheep to clean up after, right? But in that guy, that's great. He's living large. 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the peoples of the East. But then was just one tragic circumstance after another. There's a strong wind and a tornado. The house collapses and he loses all 10 of his children. Before long, he loses his wealth. He loses his health. He has boils all over his body from his head to his toes. He's sitting on the ass, scratching himself with broken pieces of pottery. Only thing he didn't lose was his wife, which maybe would have been the best thing he could have lost because she actually turned against him. And she told him, Job, give up on God because God's giving up on you. Job, just curse God and die. So he just loss after loss after loss after loss. And then in the midst of the loss, Job says something. And lean in, church, because what he's about to say to God is so rich. Job 42, verse 5. My ears have heard of you, but now, someone say, but now. But now my eyes have seen you. In other words, God, something awesome has happened. In the midst of the loss, in the midst of the pain, and the suffering, and the mourning, and the tears, I found you in a way that I have never found you before. I mean, I studied you. I knew about you. I believed in you. But you have walked with me through this pain and sorrow in such a way that my eyes have seen you like they have never seen you before. And what a sight, God, it has been. I don't know about you, but that's how it's worked for me. That it was times of my greatest loss that God showed up, God drew near, God became more real, God came riding into my pain and my sorrow, bringing with him his comfort, his peace, and his presence, and his love. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I mean, seriously, it, it was like I could feel him right beside me. Holding me, carrying me, comforting me, loving me, mourning with me, like he did on August the 8th, 1996. It was 11 days after my wife Judy lost her battle with cancer and went home to her reward. I was on a road trip to Maine with my two oldest children, John, who was nine, Chelsea, who was 12, who, by the way, is 38 years old today. I was only negative three when she was born. <laughs> Crazy stuff. But, but here's my journal entry, kind of beauty of keeping a journal, right? You have your thoughts. And here's what I wrote on that day. Thursday, August 8th, 1996, 5.40 a.m. Lord, I'm about to begin another day. We are in a hotel, Holiday Inn in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Yesterday was hard at times. I cried a lot while driving. No one knew. They're either playing Sega or sleeping. I just miss Judy so much. I'm not sure what I need to read, but I need to hear from you. I think I'll try to read Philippians. Please, God, speak to me during this trip. Then I read Philippians 1, 
1 through 30. And a comment on verse 12, Lord, what has happened to me, my loss can serve to advance the gospel. Verse 19 says that Paul rejoiced in his chains. Why? And Paul writes, for I know that through your prayers and the help given me by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Lord, I know you can turn this around. You've already begun doing that, like with the young guy at Cracker Barrel who read my Christian t-shirt in the men's room. <laughs> and when he noticed my shirt, he's a young Christian in New Jersey, I asked him to pray for me. I've never asked someone to pray for me in the bathroom before or since. <laughs> I think he did. I felt peace when we left. Lord, give me the courage so that I can glorify you through my hardship. Then I ended that time with God with this. I feel as if I am on a mountaintop with you, and it is so wonderful. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And believe me when I tell you, God's presence has never been more powerful and more real to me than it was in that loss. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. I like the message paraphrase. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You see, Jesus comes in. He embraces us. He, and he's more than able to fill the hole created by our loss. Back in 1996, God led me to buy a book written by Jerry Sitzer. I've given out a bunch of these books over the years. In fact, I, I sent a, a couple copies to some people just this week. And, and I found this book because this guy understands loss. And in one event, in a car crash he was in, he lost his mom, he lost his wife, and he lost one of his daughters. Three generations gone. And he wrote this book called A Disguised Grace, How the Soul Grows Through Loss. I have a couple copies up here. If anyone needs it or knows someone who needs it, grab it and share it. It's powerful. I just want to read a few quotes. The experience of loss does not have to be the defining moment in our lives. Instead, the defining moment can be our response to the loss. It's not what happens to us that matters so much as what happens in us. Amen? And, and, then, he, and then he paints this powerful picture, this analogy. The sorrow I feel has not disappeared, but it has been integrated into my life as a painful part of a healthy whole. Initially, my loss was so overwhelming to me that it was the dominant emotion, sometimes the only emotion I had. I felt like I was staring at the stump of a huge tree that had just been cut down in my backyard. The stump which sat all alone kept reminding me of the beloved tree that I had lost. I could think of nothing but that tree. Every time I looked out the window, all I could see was that stump. Eventually, however, I decided to do something about it. I landscaped my backyard, reclaiming it once again as my own. I decided to keep the stump there since it was both too big and too precious to remove. Instead of getting rid of it, I worked around it. I planted shrubs, trees, flowers, and grass. I laid out a brick pathway and built two benches. Then I watched everything grow. Now, three years later, the stump remains, still reminding me of the beloved tree I lost, but the stump is surrounded by a beautiful garden of blooming flowers and growing trees and lush grass. He says, likewise, the sorrow I feel remains, but I've tried to create a landscape around the loss so that what was once ugly is now an integral part of a larger, lovelier whole. Amen? And he says this, this is so good. 
The quickest way for anyone to reach the sun in the light of day is not to run west, chasing after the setting sun, but to head east, plunging into the darkness until one comes to the sunrise. It's about embracing the darkness. And, you know, I embraced my darkness in August and, and waited for the sun to rise. And part of that sunrise is sitting over there. <clears throat> That's not in my notes, by the way. <laughs> Cry here to get emotions. <laughs> no. Nah. But, in fact, for quite a bit of time, I called her my sunrise. You know, that I embraced the darkness and God provided a sunrise. And so sometimes we just have to embrace the, embrace the darkness and wait for God to bring the sunrise. And when he does, it will light up our sky in ways we could not ever imagine. Amen. Brothers and sisters, and your loss, mourn. Draw close to God. I know you heard about him, but in your loss, you can see him in a way that you have never seen him before. Get it? Good. Uh, next, for, the, for this lost world, mourn. And I'm going to go through this point pretty quick, but don't let the fact that I'm moving quick make you think that it's not important. But as he, Jesus, came closer to the city, to Jerusalem, on Palm Sunday, he began to weep. I mean, picture Jesus. He's, he's on that donkey. Everybody's shouting and praising and celebrating and full of joy. And what is Jesus doing? He's weeping and he's sobbing uncontrollably. Why? Because he knew that the people rejected him. And because of that rejection, the city would soon be destroyed by the Roman Empire in 70 A.D., and he wept for them. Question, when's the last time you wept for the brokenness in our world? When you wept for the abuse, for the addictions, for the sorrow, for the anger, for the hatred, for the racism, for the immorality, for the pain, for the sin, and for the rejection that people are making in regards to Jesus that one day will cost them dearly. The psalmist says, tears stream from my eyes because people do not obey your teachings. In my studies, I came across a title for a sermon. I couldn't find the actual sermon, but the title is just so killer, so convicting. A dry-eyed church in a hell-bound world. Let's not be that church. Let's not be that church. Uh, let's not be a church that simply points out, think, points fingers, shakes our heads, and say how nasty and mean and sinful the world is as we live in our Christian bubble, our Christian castle with the moat dug and the drawbridge pulled up. But let us cry tears that move us into loving action. Amen? Maple Grove, in your loss, mourn. For the lost world, mourn. And here's where we're going to get real. Because we cannot have real life without getting real. Amen? For your own sin, mourn. Is sin a big deal? Is your sin a big deal? And I know that 
We don't like to use that word, even in church, like it sounds so, so mean, so offensive, so judgmental, so politically incorrect. And so we often try to, to take the edge off it and give it different names like mistakes, mess ups, wrong choices. Hey, that was my bad. <laughs> but let me be perfectly clear. Your sin, my sin, our sin is a very big deal. Here's just a little proof. Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. Talking about Jesus. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He, he was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It, it was our sorrows that weighed him down. We, we thought his trouble were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. So is your sin a big deal? Understand, your sin weighed Jesus down. Your sin pierced Jesus. Your sin punished Jesus. Your sin crushed Jesus. Yes, your sin and mine caused Jesus to be despised, rejected, and crucified. Hashtag the truth. Hashtag own it. Brothers and sisters, for your own sin, mourn. Now, one of the most powerful examples in Scripture of an individual mourning over their sin is David. David, as you might remember, had an affair with Bathsheba, a married woman, while he was married. And when the dust settled, David had committed adultery, murdered her husband, and stole her for his bride, and began living a huge life for about a year. Now, before I read about David mourning his sin, I just want to point out something about God's forgiveness because God forgives us not like anyone, not like people forgive us. Check out this verse. This is a nutty verse, right? First Kings 14, verse 8. You have not been like my servant David, who kept my commands and followed me with all his heart, doing only what was right in my eyes. What? What is he talking about? <laughs> God, did you, are you having memory loss? Yeah, he is. That's the way God forgives. As far as the east from the west. People don't do that, right? They try, but it's hard for us, right? It's hard, hard for us not to keep a record of wrongs. God doesn't. You look at David, because David repented. Hey, you know what? David only does what is right. I think I did. When I first read that years ago, I was like, that is one crazy verse. We have one crazy forgiving God. It doesn't make a lick of sense, does it? We do not deserve his mercy and grace, but he pours it out on us. And so David is talking about when he sinned and repented, and also before he repented. He says this, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. You know, that was when he was living in denial, before he was broken, before he repented. Before he confessed. And sure, denial seems like a good idea. It's a path of least resistance. But let me tell you, you do not want to go where that path will eventually take you. Have you ever experienced the blessing of facing up to your sin? It's amazingly liberating. <laughs> I mean, we spend so much time and energy into running away, hiding and pretending someone else did it. That it was their fault or that the hole that we dug really wasn't that big. But they were actually trying to help somebody when we deeply hurt them. And meanwhile, as we run, we feel our strength draining away as it did for David. And listen, no amount of time at the gym 
We'll make up for it because something is leaking deep inside of us. But sooner or later, we stop running, and usually because we've run out of places to run to, we let the tears come, and that's when we find the missing strength. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Just like that? Yeah. Just like that. And David says in Psalm 51 about his sin, as he confesses before God, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. And down in verse 17, he says, the sacrifices of God are broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. See, God is looking for a broken spirit, a contrite heart, and that's what invites the blessings of God. When's the last time you shed a tear for your sin and what it cost Jesus? See, we've learned and we like to do, what we like to do is apologize. We've learned to say, God, I'm sorry. Shouldn't have done that. God, my bad. (laughs) It was a mistake. And that's not what we're talking about. That's not what invites the blessings of God into your life. Listen, and uh, sorry, God, is not what God is looking for. No, it's a broken spirit. It's a contrite heart. It's not just an apology. It's a mourning. It's not just a confession because you got caught. No, it's coming clean because you've offended God. It's not just about saying sorry to your spouse because you hurt them. It's, it's not just apologizing to a coworker because of something you did. Instead, it's, it's me coming before God like David did and say, God, against you have I sinned. I've offended you, my God. And Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. He's not speaking of people who have a sorry, I got caught spirit or sorry about that spirit. Like we're at a restaurant and we just spilled a glass of water and someone has to clean it up. No, it's this brokenhearted grief that is marked with tears. Listen, if we're not crying about it, We haven't shed a tear. I don't know if we're ready to ask God to bless us in this area. I mean, if we're not sorry, I mean, I know we're sorry because we want things to be different, but have we wept over our sin? Thomas Watson preached a sermon on this text in the 1600s and put it this way, tears melt God's heart and bind his hand. But that's not how we respond to sin. And here's what convicted me this week. I, I mean, what's the opposite of mourning and weeping? What's the opposite of weeping? It, it's laughing. Now, most of us culturally react to sin in us and around us while we just make light of it. If you don't think that's true, watch some reality TV or, you know, watch some sitcoms or comedian. We don't weep over sin. We laugh at sin. We celebrate sin. We do the opposite. And listen, when it comes to sin in our lives, we all have sins. First John 1 John 1.8 says, if you think you, you say you don't have sin, you're a liar. And James says, here's what we do in regards to our sin. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourning, well. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. I got to tell you, this morning, that he will lift you up, man, I, I had to do some searching some digging, because 
some versions say, and he will lift you up in honor. I'm going, like, okay, what's going on here? Is it an honor? What does it mean? He, he will lift you up. And I had, I had to do some looking up on uh, blueletterbible.org. Blueletter I recommend that to anybody. And, and the word used there for lift up is the Greek word, hupsao. It means to lift up on high, to exalt, to raise the dignity, to raise the honor, to elevate the happiness, to raise to, to the very summit of opulence. That's a word I use every day, right? Opulence, right? That means wealthy and luxury. To raise to, uh, to the very summit of opulence and prosperity. See, it, when we humble ourselves and confess our sins, God elevates us. He raises us up to honor and to dignity and to happiness. So is anyone out there mourning their sins? Like, I, I mean, where's the person who is mourning over their selfishness and pride? Where's the person who is mourning over their bitterness and their anger and their addiction? Where's the person mourning over the way they use their tongue to slander and, and, and to hurt people and to tear people down rather than to build them up? Where's the person weeping over their lukewarmness to Christ and his church? Where's the husband weeping over the fact that he does not love his wife the way Jesus Christ loved the church? Where is the church mourning for not sharing the gospel with those who are lost? I mean, we know them. We say we love them. But we say nothing to them. Understanding mourning and weeping over our sin is what invites God's blessing into our life. Amen? Blessed are you when you are brokenhearted over your own sin. When your eyes fill with tears at the thought of what your sin has cost Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn for their sin for they will be forgiven. For they will be lifted up high in dignity, elevated to honor and happiness. Amen? Was that fun? It's a big deal, right? Now, in the Old Testament, and we're about done. Someone say, we're about done. <laughs> Someone say, I'm so happy. <laughs> Someone say, when's this guy going to shut up, right? But, but in, the, in the Old Testament, when, when the nation would often mourn for a loss they were suffering or for sins they committed, they, they would mourn for a period of maybe seven days to a month, and, and, and they would wear sackcloth, which wasn't comfortable, which was an outward expression of their sorrow and their repentance. And, and what we're going to do and next few minutes as we worship together is just kind of practice that aspect of mourning. Um, I don't have any sackcloth for you to put on this week. I, was, I, I would looked up on Amazon sackcloth underwear because I thought that would be the best, right? All week long. I, I don't know why I said that, but, you know, it's me, so you expect it, right? But here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. You know, and, and, and just like the bell last week, I was talking to someone who I was saying, yeah, some of you are like, I'm like, what brings some bell have to do with me? It didn't go from God. Someone actually leaned over when I was saying that and said, you know, I, why we got to do that? You know? and, and, but I, I tell you what, if one person last week hit that bell and said, God, help me with, and they felt God's presence come upon them to help them, then I'm okay with that, right? 
And so this week I have this cool rope string. It's not sackcloth, but it's just a reminder. And, and what I'm going to encourage you to do, right, as we sing the song is to, at all these stations, there's just pieces of this, this rope. And, and uh, encourage you to pick a piece up and then have someone help you. If you can't do it yourself, I certainly can't. You know, tie this around your wrist for this week as a reminder. A reminder, A, to in your loss mourn. Remind you that, hey, if I'm suffering hard times and, and difficulty, I'm, I'm going to mourn. I'm going to draw close to God. Uh, and I'm going to see God like I've never seen him before. I'm not going to go through this time of loss and hardship by myself. But I'm going to draw close to God and allow God to be with me. And allow God to be more real than he's ever been before. I don't have to go through this loss alone. God will be with me. Or to remind yourself that, you know what, we live in a lost and broken world. There's so much sin. So many people are suffering. And remind yourself, you know what, I'm going to mourn for what's broken in my world. And I'm going to pray for that brokenness. And to remind yourself to mourn for your own sin. You know, and, and there's forgiveness when we come to God and confess our sins. And to sing the song, come to the altar. And, and again, everyone at these stations, if, if you don't want to put it around your wrist, you can, you can do that with it. You know, you can do this all week long, right? If I get, why you got your mouth? Well, I went to church and they told me to wear this this morning. That was, I don't know why I did that, but <laughs> I'm not well. God loves me anyhow. But I just want to encourage you to sing this song, Come to the Altar. If you're suffering right now, God doesn't want you to suffer alone. And God doesn't want us to drive by the brokenness. He wants us to come alongside the brokenness in our world. And God does not want us to make light of our sin. He wants us to confess our sin so he can forgive us. Amen.